Hi, Drew. Hi, Drew. Come and join us for the intro. Here he is. Um, yes, today's show is with Elissa. Uh, last time she was on this show, she was here with a vibrator, which is... Yes, today's show is with Elissa. Uh, last time she was on this show, she was here with a vibrator, which is... And, you know, this is actually something that I relate to very strongly because a lot of my early training as a singer was so technical that it ignored this issue of how to bring myself into the song. <sighs> that was fake. That one was I know, fake. I felt it. I felt that was fake. <laughs> Shut, I mean, you, you don't even tell me. I knew. I did it. <laughs> Who's he anyway? Like, you're the expert. <laughs> oh, that one got me. I actually didn't necessarily get a huge bullshit reading in that moment, I have to be honest. But Was it that? It was that, wasn't it? It was like, you know, halfway. It was coming out. Yeah, definitely coming out. <laughs> is that is that the awkward I love you yeah in a way oh he loves that do you see he likes a good old ear scratch mm. um, yes Elissa is going to be here sharing us uh, her thoughts on connecting to your impulses for the purposes of expression and also some uh, breathing techniques and her tips on that um, and Elissa is very much like the holistic approach right yeah to, yep. to singing uh, um, and speech even in general which some people can be a little bit cynical about. Yeah. Well, just not. It's just not. It's just not their thing. You know. I, I know. I, I back in the day was it was all about. Let's just let's get this going. Let's get this going. Fire but, this baby up. But the further you go down the line, you have you have those revelations yeah. and things where you just think, oh, your whole body and your life and your mind. Yeah. Singers are humans. Trashing everything. Um, but we have got a request for you, haven't we? Um, yeah, because it comes from some very bad news, doesn't it, Christopher? Yeah, um, we asked you for some um, reviews on, on uh, iTunes. Thanks for those of you that gave us a review. Um, we, got, we got a one star from someone, <laughs> someone out there. I think it was a troll. Because <laughs> we can't, who would? We can't be that who, bad, can who, we? Who would ever? Who would ever? The thing is, um, even if it was a troll, <laughs> troll or no troll, it's brought the percentage down, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. We're not 100% five-star anymore. So um, thanks to that person. Um, do you think they might have been going through... The old stuff. A time... The old oh. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the old stuff. Um, but you have to live with that, in all honesty, don't you? Yeah. Oh, with, the, yeah. with the first few episodes and everything else you put out there, um, you have to deal with that. You have to leave yeah. that out there. Like in the old the world. performances. Yeah. 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 And if you didn't, if you if you thought, oh, I better wait until I know everything, you would never fucking release anything. No. Would you? No. You've just got to say it. If you let's say you're a teacher or someone out there doing something like that, you've just got to start spewing it out basically and not be worried about what people think as long as you put in the work in. Yeah. And you can have a bit of confidence that um, that you care, your motivations are correct. Um, and down the line, you'll inevitably say stuff where you're like, okay, mm. I, don't, I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. Still doesn't deserve a one star though. No. So, <laughs> let's, if we could, there's a 
sure you've got a bit of time over Christmas, a bit of downtime, please go ahead, iTunes, on the iTunes store. Oh, yeah, on the yeah. iTunes app. Um, give us a review on there. You can write words, that would be great. Um, you can write words. <laughs> you can write as words. To as opposed to just clicking the stars, you know. Drawing doesn't, pictures. Doesn't say much. It's in other news, the VIP teacher forum. Yes. In San Fran. So there's a big event going on in San Francisco in uh, March 2017. It's run by the network of teachers that we're fortunate enough to work with called Vocology in Practice. Uh, their website is vocologyinpractice.com. Uh, but the event seems to be focused around a lot of style and artistry as well as some guest speakers on voice science and technique as well. Um, so it's well worth going. I mean, we've been to many of those events, right? Mm. The, the caliber of people that they get in. Um, unbiased people, I'd like that's, to add. That's the point, isn't it? Because a lot of time teacher networks, they're very uh, exclusive. And so you can only go to these events if you are part of the network. And uh, and everyone, there'd be a lot of places around the country, around the world that do this. They are offering knowledge from people they bring in, people within the network, and it's just a, a geek out for two to three days. So then you come home pumped, motivated to get back into teaching again. You've got loads of new information, loads of new energy. But um, but this is open to everyone as VIP is very um, broad, broad, yeah. open to new ideas, not stuck in a in a one way. So. For any teachers out there that are looking to get motivated, get some more knowledge, and have a, have a holiday to San Fran. And probably a few free sandwiches, I would have thought. It's very affordable, actually. Yeah, how much is it? Can't remember. But it's about three, is it 300 something? Something like that, but I do remember just thinking, wow, that's really decent. Yeah. Because um, normally they can, which, which is because what, what the guys have done is, uh, is and just to say, because obviously I'm on the board at the moment, and so I, I'm in all the conversations, so I can be completely transparent about that, is that it's done for the, to get people, to get people there. Because these high prices for other, other courses often put people off from the, from the off. And this is about just people coming, sharing information, and then going off into their little world. Yeah, amazing. Yep. So if you want to find out some more information about that, you can go to vocologyinpractice.com forward slash forum 2017. Um, so yeah, get yourself along to that. But for now, let's just get into the episode with Alyssa. Uh, right, we are here uh, breaking new ground with cameras on us, but also in front of the laptop, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean with Alyssa, I'm going to say it right. Come on. Winezimmer. You did it. Yes. Is that a wine sipper or... It's, it's actually, Zimmer means room in German, so uh, wine is wine, so it's like a wine cellar. Oh, really? What a great thing to be named after. Are you taking after yeah. your name by quaffing wine constantly? I mean, I did last night, so yeah. <laughs> and uh, from the time difference, we got you out of your slumber by the look of it. <laughs> I, mean, I hope I hope I did my hair nice, but... <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. look, you look yeah, wonderful. You that... ahead of me. I'm in New York City. So from New York City, um, owner at Voice Body Connection, um, also a previous guest on our show with the Vibrant Voice Technique, um, graduate of Alberta University, um, residing in New York City as a, as a teacher, voice specialist, acting, speech, singing, the bunch. So there's a lot going on. So what, what do you tell us about, like, what are you up to right now with everything? 
Yeah, of course. Okay. So, um, so yeah, my business is called Voice Body Connection. And um, I like to say what I do really is help people bust through the barriers that they have in their voice and their body, right? And that means that that could be singers, um, that could be public speakers, that could be, uh, I work with a lot of actors. I am an actor myself and a singer as well. Um, and uh, lately I've been really excited about um, teaching online. And so I have launched an online class called How Your Voice Works that explains the anatomy and mechanics of the human voice. And um, I basically sort of, my work falls into two categories at this point, which is that I, I educate people on vocal health. I call myself a vocal health educator. And then I also work with people on presence. So how to become more present in your singing, in your speaking, in your life. Wow, and what led you to that? So I have a little bit of a story that brought me here. Um, I was doing a lot of performing growing up. Um, you know, there was a sunken living room in my parents' house growing up, and so the foyer was up a little bit higher, and that was clearly a stage to me um, from a very young age. So I would perform shows with my brother and sister, you know, put them to work as my cast, and um, performed all through growing up into high school and college. And when I was um, actually in my senior year at the University of Southern California, at that point I was singing in an a cappella group. Um, I was performing in musicals. I was starting to do some directing actually as well. Um, but I lost my voice and um, was really mysterious at the time. Basically, I woke up one morning and it felt like I had shards of glass in my throat and it hurt to swallow. And obviously I was super terrified and I wound up at the e ENT that week and then ultimately getting a second opinion um, shortly afterward. And I didn't really get any conclusive um, feedback about exactly what had happened, but I was told that I had experienced vocal trauma and my vocal cords had bled. So, you know, there was a hemorrhage um, and I needed to go on vocal rest for a month and then learn better habits with speech therapy afterwards. And so the whole experience, you know, I, I really was the choir kid really praised for my voice and everything for a long time growing up and took it for granted and thought it would always be there and also was the person who felt like I can warm up when I want to. If I don't feel like warming up today, I don't really have to. And it changed my perspective on everything when I lost my voice and ultimately set me on this path to get really curious about how my voice worked and what exactly had happened to me and how to solve it and and heal myself and of course in the process of learning to heal myself I very quickly decided I wanted to help other people avoid this same situation and I'll just say that part of why um, my work with vibrant voice technique why it has been so important to me personally is because ultimately a huge factor in what was going on with my voice was muscle tension dysphonia was you know that's the fancy way of saying muscle tension has had caused me an overuse and vocal abuse had caused me to ultimately over the course of time lose some quality in my voice and then lose my voice altogether at a certain point so it took me years to unravel the tension patterns that had caused that issue and once i understood that it was muscle tension and had the tools to unravel that muscle tension um it was very uh it was actually a much easier and more joyful process than it had been to start really getting my voice back up to par and really ultimately beyond where i started amazing amazing and you can often say about um uh, let's say teachers and, and vocal experts that um, when they've genuinely gone through or walked through the mud, shall we say, of like terrible vocal issues mm -hmm. and stuff, 
um, you come out the other side being a lot more empathetic to stuff and and reassuring that you know I've done it you can do it it's a horrible journey but hey what what an experience totally. to have um, okay yeah. so so with with uh, today's show you've got a couple of things you really want to share with us which um, we're quite excited about um, yeah why don't you take us into your first subject you've you've named it impulse. Yeah, so um, so like I said, I, I teach this class called How Your Voice Works. And in my opinion, the first step of how our voices work is that we have to have an impulse, right? There has to be some sort of a desire to speak or sing, right? If we don't have a desire to speak or sing, then we just don't. We don't open our mouth. We don't start. But the really tricky thing about being a singer is that most of the time, we are in a situation where we know what we're supposed to sing. In other words, we have a song, we have what I might call a map of how the song is supposed to go. And so the really tricky balance is how do I follow the map of this song, the rules of the song, which is, you know, I enter on beat one and the tempo is this and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do we follow the map, but also marry it with our own impulses so that it feels like it's truly something that we want to be saying. And you know, this is actually something that I relate to very strongly because a lot of my early training as a singer was so technical that it ignored this issue of how to bring myself into the song. Um, and so this is something I now feel very passionately about. I think it's brilliant. You know, that's a, it's a conversation we have quite a lot, isn't it? On, uh, I guess another way to say it is the difference between uh, well, the question when we ask, how do you become authentic, which is a buzzword in the industry, it's like, how, how do I become yeah. an authentic performer? And it's a similar, I guess the same thing as what you're saying there is how to bring out that you in the performance. Yeah. yeah? So how do you do it? Okay. So I had this question for a long time. Um, and I, as you mentioned, I went to grad school at the University of Alberta and I was studying, I got an MFA in theater voice pedagogy. And I had all these big questions. Part of the reason I went to Alberta is because I had started teaching before I went to graduate school and students would ask me questions and I'd go, that's a great question. Get back to me in six months and I'll have an answer for you. You know what I mean? So um, one of my big questions was, where do impulses come from? I was really curious about like where these impulses, where do they start in our body? Because, you know, I am actually certified in yoga as well and very, um, I consider myself as much a movement teacher as I do a voice teacher. And so... I'm curious in our body where impulses come from. And I had this revelation one day. I, um, I study with someone named Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, who uh, she teaches a technique. She's created a technique called body-mind centering. And I was in one of Bonnie's workshops, um, I guess it was last October, so it was a year ago. And I suddenly, the light bulb went off and I walked up to Bonnie sort of slowly, a little bit wide-eyed like a zombie. And I looked at her and I said, Bonnie, impulses come from our cells and the word i'm saying of course is you know cells like c-e-l-l-s in our body right um and she just smiled and nodded at me and said because mm -hmm, it was one of those things where she'd been trying to teach me that for a while right but um but impulses come from our cells because you know we have all this language in um in our English language, we say things like I could feel it in the soles of my feet, or I felt a tingle up my spine, or I knew in my gut, I knew in my heart. We have a lot of language that indicates that our desires and our impulses come from our body, but really they start down all the way at the cellular level. 
um, at the building blocks, and they can come from cells anywhere in our body. And that's why we might refer to different organs, different systems, um, because ultimately the way the nervous system works is we have peripheral sequences up to central, which is our brain and our spinal cord, right? Sends the message to the mothership, and then the mothership sends a message back down about how to respond. So when the mothership receives information, it's receiving it from the cellular level. So, so your, your job right now is to try and manipulate that process or at least use it in your singers to then help them to portray their music in the right way. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, it, it's about I think there's something very powerful that happens when you say to a singer, feel your cells, you know, tap into your cellular awareness is maybe it's a buzzword that we use in somatic practices and movement techniques. Um, and uh, when you start to tap into the cellular level, it just brings you really close and in contact with your impulses. So even just to take a moment and close your eyes and feel the vibration we have 10 trillion. Actually, I think that there are numbers now that say we have 50 trillion cells in our body. I've heard both of those numbers. And so to just even consider the, the profundity of that fact is, you know, crazy. And then if you take all 50 trillion of those cells into your song, you know, you can't leave yourself behind in that case. You can't just do technique and leave your impulses behind, right? Sounds really tiring. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Does that require a lot of energy? <laughs> oh my god, I gave you every one of my trillion cells there, guys. Come on. Give, get, give me get, an applause. Just give me just one applause. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so if if we're talking about someone who's who's at home and they're um Oh, I don't know, how do you diagnose this? Do you, you're gonna need somebody's objective eye to go, hang on, your your performance may be a little bit lacking in energy or the vocal qualities are just a little bit plain or too balanced. Um, the, I presume that's your diagnosis for people who need to work on this some more? Yeah, so, I, so I'm gonna offer a tool that I like to um, play with. So I, I made up this thing. I'm sure someone else has probably made up a similar thing in their life. It's called the truthometer. I call it the truthometer. And the truthometer is like, if I believe you, if I'm watching you and I'm really swept away by your performance and it feels you know, authentic and the emotion feels genuine to me, then you're high on the truthometer. And if you're not, then you're like on the bullshit meter, right? It's low, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you only mention that part of it when you're in the door of that workshop? <laughs> then, then you can start swearing. Yeah. To totally. And, and the truth is that the cool thing about, you know, I, I do this gesture for the truthometer and the, and the bullshit zones down here. Right. And the cool thing about using this terminology is that it's not even offensive to anyone. It doesn't have to be offensive because you can say like, you know, I don't believe you. That felt like bullshit to me. It's no reflection on that person's humanity and value as a singer, but it's just like that one wasn't great, you know? So, um, so, uh, so yeah, so I have this truthometer thing and, and a lot of times what we have to do is go way, way back to like, what does it feel like to make sound? So I'm going to lead you guys in a pretty goofy exercise. Are you ready for this? Yeah, go on then. Of course we are. <laughs> you ready? Do I need a vocal zone lo lozenge and a straw? Probably a straw, yeah. Let I'm me just say. get one. Let me just get one. Okay, let's go. Right, ready. Get one. So, um, so I'm certified in something called Fitzmorris voice work, which is a theater voice technique. And um, in Fitzmorris, we have this term we call um, just sighing out like on a little bit of air with some vibration. We call it fluffy sound. So a uh, fluffy sound might sound something like this. Huh. <sighs> 
So will you guys do a fluffy sound with me? <sighs> nice. Yeah. And sometimes it's a sigh or sometimes, and, and we don't really uh, lengthen the, we don't lengthen the vibration. So a lot of times if you ask someone to make a sound like that, especially because it might sort of feel like I don't make sounds like that in public, you know? So a lot of times if I ask a student to make a sound like that, they can't at first, right? There's like, a, they're, they're cut off and, and like the idea of sighing out a fluffy sound feels foreign and crazy. I either speak language or I shut up or I sing, right? And so um, the fluffy sound can be a kind of cool gateway to figuring out whether you're connected to your cells and your impulses because what you do is you make a fluffy sound and then you ask yourself, did that feel true? And if it felt true, great, you did it. And if it felt like bullshit, you know, then you didn't do it. So like if I make a fluffy sound that's like, huh, that's probably me pushing to make a sound as opposed to really the sound that I wanted to make in that moment, right? So, um, so yeah, so we'll just do like, you know, let's do three or four fluffy sounds. We can do it all together right now. And it'll it'll free up the listeners to feel like they can do this with us, right? Um, so we'll just make a couple fluffy sounds and just we'll, we'll have a conversation afterwards about whether it felt like you could make sounds that felt true or not. Does that sound good? Yep. Mm. Okay, here we go. We're all going to make some fluffy sounds. Here we go. We don't have to do it all at the same time. <laughs> we got lag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to start just to give us permission. Here we go. That was fake. That one was I know, fake. I felt it. I felt <laughs> that was fake. Shami, you, you don't even tell me. I knew. I did it. Who's he anyway? Like, you're the expert. Oh, that one got me. I actually didn't necessarily get a huge bullshit reading in that moment, I have to be honest, but- Was it that? It was that, wasn't it? It was like, you know, halfway. It was coming out, like, definitely what? coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, this is just, I, I mean, I think you guys get the point of the exercise. I think the listeners can get the point of the exercise. And obviously if you wanna do this, you know, in the comfort of your own bedroom without people listening to you, that's a really safe way to start. But it's really interesting to just tap into, can I make a sound that feels true to me? Because if I can't even start there, then when we add all of the elements of hitting certain notes in a certain rhythm with accompaniment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then how are we supposed to carry our truthfulness and authenticity into that moment, right? Mm. So if someone's doing well at that exercise and they feel like they did create their authentic sound, where do they go from there, having ticked that box? Yeah, so then, um, you know, there's so much that you can do in between getting to the point where you're performing, but I think the next thing is to go into your warm-up routine, to go into your scales, etc. And um, can you... You know, with something like a, a scale, we're not necessarily going to be like, that was the most beautiful scale that I ever wanted to sing in this moment. You know, sometimes we are truly just doing a technical exercise and that's fine. But it's just about starting to bring our awareness to the, if we bring our awareness to the idea, does that feel true? Then the more and more we shine a light on that concept, the more we can catch ourselves in bullshit zone, you know, and be like, hmm. I just sang a line and I wasn't even thinking about what it meant and I wasn't really connected. And I, and actually, do you know where my brain was in that moment? I was worried about hitting the high note. And of course, if the singer is worried about hitting the high note and wasn't thinking about what they were saying, then do you think the audience understood what they were saying? Probably not, right? Isn't another way to look at this is, is focus. 
Alyssa, yeah. do, do you think, you know, as in, you know, because if I, if I just think about my, then, you know, it's, it was, there was a lot going on in my head at the time uh, in terms I'm, of... I'm being filmed. Yeah, I've um, got like an idiot sat next to me, you know, <laughs> who's trying to be clever. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? So I, in t- cause I can imagine that with, with students, with, with singers in general, one of the things that drags us away from that authenticity is the thought of which are other things that are happening in that moment. And so, look, whether it's people are watching me. Or what, like self-consciousness? Self-consciousness, yeah. And, and it's almost like the people that we believe that are authentic or true are the people that are also, at the same time, seem confident. And let less concerned less with concerned. everything going I'm on around. I'm doing my and... thing. I'm intent. I've got intent here. Focus. So would that be another way to kind of describe it? Do you think? I think that's so beautiful. And you know, I'll I'll share with you that I'm also a meditator, and that's a huge part of my life and my practice. Yep. And, we're um, best friends. Okay. That means we're best friends. I'm on the outside, around yeah. right about here. That's okay. You're, it, Chris, you're welcome inside anytime no, it's fine. you want. Yeah. I don't want to come inside. <laughs> Is it fine? <laughs> that's totally fine. No, I like it out so, here. That's totally great. It, it, there's so many there's so many ways towards the same thing and meditation's one of them. And I'll just share that what I've learned from meditation that I carry so heavily into the way I teach is this idea that you're talking about a focus and how to because the thing is the nature of the human brain is to think. We can't stop ourselves from thinking. Um, but so much of what we're doing as singers is mindset stuff. So I think if we get good at focusing on the primary thing that's necessary in the moment and letting the other thoughts be there, but just not grabbing onto them, not like following them and trying to figure out what they, the significance of them and what they mean, um, then that's good. So really in any moment that we're performing, what is the most important thing? It is communicating our message to the audience. That's the thing. That's the important thing. And all of that technical stuff that you've done before that moment, I like to call that homework, right? That's the homework. And if we go back to this idea of your cells, it lives in your cells. Our, our cells have a cellular memory. And when we do our scales, when we practice stuff, when we run through the song multiple times, our cells learn that stuff and retain that stuff. And then instead of needing to manage it in performance, we can trust that it's there. So that allows for focus. And I suppose the reason I brought up meditation is that what doing a mantra-based meditation has taught me um, is that I can focus on one thing. It is possible to focus on a primary thing and let the other stuff be there and not worry about it as much. Excellent. It's not easy. Mm but it's possible. Yeah, like anything, takes a lot of practice. And, and this kind of practice, because it isn't necessarily muscle patterns and coordination, it can, it can feel a bit far out to know when it's actually in you <laughs> and whether you're doing it right, let's face it, because you, you have to be able to look at yourself in an honest way and think, is that correct? Is that true? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to have a coach, to have a teacher, to have people to reflect for you. But the cool thing that I like about the truthometer is it is a tool that you can use for self-assessment. And at the beginning, you're probably going to have to have people validate for you. Like that felt true to me. Did it feel true to you? Do you think that that was an authentic version of that song, etc.? But um, as you go on, I think we the confidence comes from knowing that we can produce the results that we want to produce. You know, the confidence comes from the practice and comes from the focus and the awareness and the connection to ourselves on a full body cellular level, you know. Elissa, today you were also going to talk to us about 
your thoughts on breathing, including a special technique, um, which sounds like a Street Fighter special move, I'd like to say. Uh, <laughs> but if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to bring us on to your next subject of breathing, what, what, what's your thoughts on this area? Oh yeah, okay. So, um, so I want to say something sort of controversial to start off, which is, you know how a, a lot of us uh, have heard things or say things like "breathe with your diaphragm." I certainly have said it. It's kind of a silly thing to say because it doesn't really mean anything because you can't breathe without your diaphragm, right? It's sort of like telling someone to walk with their feet. It's like, mm-hmm, if I practice really hard, I maybe could walk on my hands, but I think I'm going to stick to my feet for now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can do that. Um, just, just, I can walk on my hands. Can you think? Carry on. Sorry, Lisa. Carry on. That's not fair. I, I, can you teach me? I, I would love it. I That's can awesome. definitely teach it. Whenever you want. He's lying. <laughs> sorry to interrupt totally. I'm so sorry meditation no, meditation ego. buddies ego you know so, hand okay. walking okay, so, buddies so most of us walk on our feet right so and you guys know I mean I, I think I'd love to have a conversation about it um, and I wrote a blog for you guys about this about breathing with our diaphragms and, and why that doesn't really mean much but so if, if we sort of very basically go over the anatomy of the diaphragm, the diaphragm is a muscle that bisects the torso, right? And it connects all around the base of the rib cage. So I really like helping people embody things. So if the listeners, as they're listening right now, want to just sort of trace their hands, and you guys can do it too, along the bottom of your rib cage, which obviously at the center in the front is a little bit higher, and then it goes down a little bit, and then it's pretty actually often low on the sides and around to the back, right? And your rib cage is, of course, in 360 degrees. You guys having fun there? Yeah. I just can't. Whenever it comes to like touching bodies close to each other, it just gets weird. It just... Maybe I can feel yours and you can do mine. I knew. You know, honestly, that's a very good voice exercise. We'll get to that next. And so that's so sweet. Um, and so our diaphragm connects all the way around the base of our rib cage, right? And then honestly, if you took your diaphragm out of context, out of your body and just plopped it down on the floor, which obviously I don't recommend, but if you did that, it would just be a sheet of muscle, right? It, it like wouldn't have a shape. The reason our diaphragm has that dome shape is because there's the stuff below it and the stuff above it, above it holding it into that shape, right? Like sort of forming it into that shape. And so really the diaphragm's a muscle and muscles do two things. Muscles, they contract and they release. That's all it does. When the diaphragm contracts, there's a central tendon that is anchored to the heart and, you know, really pretty strongly anchored there. It doesn't have much movement. So the central tendon and the fibers coming off the central tendon, when it tenses, it's going to pull the sides of the diaphragm up, meaning it's going to raise the sides of the rib cage in 360 degrees, right? It's also going to flatten a little bit because the lungs are expanding and filling with air. And so they're pressing down on the diaphragm. So I like to often, you know, make sort of a shape with my hands, kind of like a jellyfish. And then just like a jellyfish, when we inhale, it sort of widens and flattens. I don't know if jellyfish are technically inhaling in that moment, but they move like this. And then it, and then when the, the jellyfish, you know, releases, it goes back into a dome shape more, right? And that's how a jellyfish locomotes, and that's how our diaphragm moves. So you can think about your diaphragm like a jellyfish. And then, of course, when your diaphragm flattens and widens, it presses down on the visceral organs beneath it, right? And that's your stomach, that's your pancreas, that's your um, large and small intestines and your liver, et cetera. So, um, 
And and for the sake of this visualization, you can imagine that all of those um, visceral organs are contained in a sac because indeed they are. It's called the peritoneal sac. It's sort of like a water balloon, right? And so when the diaphragm pushes down, when it contracts is the technical term I should use, and pushes down on all of this, the water balloon, it's not getting bigger, it's not filling with more stuff because the air is not going down there, but the water balloon is going to change shape because it's getting pushed from above, right? The pattern of how all of this happens and exactly where we expand, whether it's more vertical, more horizontal, more front to back, that depends on, you know, freedom and patterns of tension in every individual and unique body. And so, Yes, it's true that a lot of times we need to free up tension that's inhibiting the free movement of the diaphragm. In other words, we need to allow our diaphragm to move more, but that's really a more accurate way of saying it. Um, I have a yoga teacher um, named Leslie Kamenoff who teaches anatomy, who I've learned so much from, and he's actually a guest lecturer in um, the breathing module of my course, How Your Voice Works. And Leslie likes to say that the diaphragm is sort of like a cheetah. A cheetah, the inherent nature of a cheetah is to run, right? If you put a cheetah in a cage, the cheetah doesn't have the space to run, it's not going to be a very happy cheetah. If you put a cheetah in a field, then the cheetah can run around and, and, and you know, explore its true nature. So basically, instead of saying breathe with your diaphragm, because really it's always moving when you're breathing, it, breathing is the shape change of the cavity above and below it, the chest cavity and the abdominal cavity. So if you're always moving your diaphragm when you breathe, then it's not really breathe with your diaphragm, it's allow your diaphragm to move more freely, right? That's what we're really saying. So that's kind of a little, you know, crash course in the anatomy, which then can lead us to this breath support idea, which is what I wanted to talk about. So if the inhalation, if the goal of the inhalation to set our breathing up for voice and speech is to make as much space for the lungs to expand so that we can get as much air as possible, um, then that basically means that the diaphragm needs to be free to move down and the rib cage needs to be free in three dimensions to expand, right? That's going to be a healthy inhalation for voice and speech is going to be expanding the chest or thoracic cavity. So then the question is, what are we doing on the exhalation? And now the exhalation is when we're actually doing the work of speech and singing, which is kind of 180 degrees different than it is throughout the day. You know, when, when we're sleeping, the work happens on the inhalation in our breathing pattern, and then the recoil, the easy part is on the exhalation, right? Like if you ask any human being on the street, take a deep breath, they inhale and do the work on the inhalation, and then they relax on the exhalation, right? But voice or speech put us in a situation where the where the work is happening on the exhalation so we have to actually 180 degrees flip our pattern in order to support voice and speech right we have to actually do something to allow the exhalation to be supported maybe not a lot but something right and so the argument um, that i like to make which you know, I'm, you've talked to so many experts on this show, and there are different opinions about this. But my opinion is that the abdominal muscles can help change the shape of that water balloon that we're talking about, the abdominal water balloon, which when we distend, when we change the shape of it and distend the water balloon up back to the diaphragm, it supports the diaphragm as the diaphragm is floating back up into its dome shape. So now here's the thing. If I'm shouting hey really loudly across a train station to try to get someone's attention, then my low belly muscles might truly actually, you would like see them go inward pretty extremely. If I'm just saying hi to you guys in this moment, then 
my abdominal support is not super um, intense, right? And lots of people say lots of different things about what the abdominal muscles could be doing, or some people believe the abdominal muscles should not be very involved, and that it's more about the rib cage. There's so many. There's so many different opinions about where to squeeze the mechanism, you know, or not really squeeze, where to uh, support the mechanism. And really, ultimately, they're just all in service of getting those visceral organs up underneath the diaphragm to sort of break or control the flow of the, of the diaphragm as it moves back upwards into that dome shape. And I do really believe that this low belly activation is the most efficient way. And it was a really learning this effectively, um, training my frozen ballet body out of non-movement into support in this way was a really important part of my healing process when I was um, getting my voice back. So let me teach you the ninja thing, shall I? Oh, yes, please. This is exactly what I want. I don't want anything less. Do I need a sword? Well, I'll be ninjas by the end of this for sure. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to do a breathing technique that actually comes from yoga. So I'm, I'm stealing this 100% from yoga. This is a yoga breathing technique. It's called breath of fire. Um, get ready for this. The fancy Sanskrit word for it or Sanskrit, if you want to pronounce that that way, is Kapalabhati. And I can even I'll have to probably write it down as I say it to you. But um, that is spelled K-A-P-A-L-A-B-H-A-T-I, Kapalabhati. For How do you cook it? That wants to look it up. Yeah? Honestly. How do you cook it? How do you cook that? <laughs> <laughs> it was really a rubbish a joke, dish. but you know, we'll leave it in the edit. I love it. It's, um... So Kapalabhati or breath of fire is what it means. And it's also um, another way it's sometimes referred to as skull shining breath because there can be this quality of energy that you get where it feels like your skull's sort of glowing when you do it. So something maybe really important to say that I haven't mentioned yet is that our voice flows up and out of us, right? The directionality of the airflow, the directionality of voice, honestly, the directionality of our emotions get out of our body up and out, right? So if we... If, if, if we're thinking of our voice like a toothpaste tube, if we squeeze from the bottom of the toothpaste tube, all of the toothpaste goes up and out. Whereas if we squeeze from somewhere in the middle of the toothpaste tube, some of it goes down, some of it goes up. You have to do more work to squeeze from the bottom to get it out, right? So basically, this breath of fire is going to train our body what it feels like to squeeze from the bottom of the toothpaste tube to really activate from the bottom of the system. So the way that we do this is it's actually going to be in and out uh, through our nose right now to do the yoga technique. And we're going to breathe out through our nose sort of forcefully. And you'll probably draw in your low belly and you may find that your chest sort of like slightly lifts as you breathe out. So just try that once. Yeah, and it's gonna be actually a quick little fast like uh, spurt of breath, so. All right, I, th I think I should blow my nose before I do this. It was actually, honestly, your nose is about to get really clear, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you do that and then the inhalation is a recovery and then we're, we'll do it 18 times, okay? So I can demonstrate for a second. And is, it gonna, is this going to sound crazy if I breathe my nose breath onto the microphone? I think that's fine if you do. You guys like it? Okay, good. Ready? Here we go. It goes like this. You want to join in with me? Ready? Good. <laughs> Go ahead and do one long exhalation. One long inhalation through your nose. 
and another long exhalation. Okay, amazing. You'll feel really good after that. I have some oxygen in my head for a change. <laughs> feel it? Can you feel that skull shining thing? I think you yeah. can, can't you right oh, now? Oh yeah. <laughs> up right it's teaching our body this pattern okay so now before we do it one more time i just want to say like the the really important thing to watch out for which is the the opposite can start to happen for someone that's not paying close attention what we call the opposite is the poopy breath and the poopy breath is the one that squeezes in and pushes down in the direction of that stuff right and is not actually helpful for training the directionality of your voice right so a poopy breath might sort of look like i'm squeezing my shoulders and bearing down energetically as i exhale so if i demonstrate that and maybe we can even hear the difference in the sound it's like That's not what it is, right? It's not squeezing in and pushing down while we exhale. It's drawing the low belly in and allowing the energy and prana, if you will, or actually it's technically called in yoga, it's technically called apana because it's going out to go up and out, right? Instead of down. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm. Okay, great. So let's do it. Um, this time I actually will count. Let's do it 18 times. We're going to draw in the low belly and breathe out through our nostrils. And then the inhalation is just a really easy recovery. We probably will hear it come in through the nostrils a bit just because of the turbulence of the small openings. But we're going to breathe out 18 times. Here we go. Long one out, long breath in, long breath out. And there nice. we go. Nice. Shiny skull? Shiny Mate. skull. Shiny skull, shiny skull. <laughs> so which, which I'm, inter I'm interested um, from the anatomical point of view, which muscles from your perspective are being, specifically being activated in that? I love it. You want me to go into this debate, yeah? Yeah, I think it'd be I cool. Mm, yeah, debate. I, um, I believe, so So in Fitzmaurice voice work, um, which is where I first encountered this idea of drawing in the low belly to um, support, we call it, um, in that practice, we call it transverse support. And the belief in that practice is that it really is primarily the transverse abdominus. Since that time, um, I have an amazing colleague and friend named Joan Melton who has been doing some um, research and looking at ultrasounds of all three layers of the abdominal muscles, which for those, for, for people who are not familiar, the deepest layer is the transverse abdominis, the next layer is the internal and external obliques, and then the most superficial layer is the rectus abdominis or our six pack, or as I like to call it, our eight pack, because it actually is an eight pack and we all have it, it just might be obscured by other things, right? So. There's three layers there, and um, really, ultimately, they're all being used. And actually, here's a really interesting fact that completely blew my mind when I learned it, which is the rectus abdominis, the outermost layer, as we get closer down towards the pubic bone, it actually dives down and becomes the deepest layer. At the pubic bone, the rectus is actually the deepest insertion. So 
really ultimately, I think it's very valuable to think about the transverse leading the way. And the reason for that is because the transverse has those horizontal fibers, which means that using the low belly is not, not going to implicate a rib squeeze up higher, right? You can um, draw in the low belly and allow the rib cage to still be relatively free. But truth be told, looking at a um, ultrasound of all three layers, they're all moving. They're all involved. Um, and it's really impossible to tease them apart, really. Um, one cue that I do think is really helpful for finding that transverse support is instead of the action where you tense your belly like someone is going to punch you in the belly and you want to protect your organs, that is a primarily rectus abdominis action because those fibers go up and down. That's kind of like brings us into a sit up and it does tend to contract the rib cage, which is not so valuable for freedom of the diaphragm. If we instead think about um, trying to get really skinny, like we're trying to put a skinny pair of jeans on and we want to button that button, but we really need, you, you, like when you do that, you often find that your rib cage actually expands and, grow, and you try to grow taller. So if you think about that action of trying to get skinny to get into your skinny extra small jeans, that's often a really good cue to find that sort of transverse leading action. Do you guys agree with that? There's a, a clinic in, in London called PhysioEd um who are are you familiar with those guys at all i don't know that i am no they're, they're like osteopaths laryngeal massage as well right but they're oh, sure. primarily and voice voice users and, and performing artists in general and um they do a lot of work on that and they ultrasound people in their studio um where they're trying to see more act they're trying to get the singers like if you're on all fours and you sing or no if you're if you're in prayer like on your knees with your head on your hands or if you're led back there's less activity in the internal obliques um, because they're not in a supporting role anymore and the transverse abdominus can be active and they do ultrasound you whilst you're singing to try and see a little less activity in the internal obliques and a little more in the transverse so that they you can see them all working together it's just sometimes one of the layers which is not the deep one is leading the way and they're too strong for yeah. the singer and then they're, they're so linked to pharyngeal constriction that I, I, t I you know I agree with you on the transverse abdominus front it's it's a big uh, it's a big world being opened up at the moment. The fact that we have the technology to even start to pay attention to that and see if the transverse is working a little bit harder and the obliques are turning off a little bit is stunning and amazing. That's so cool. Yes, mm. yes. And uh, uh, there's, uh, there's another lady in the UK called Debbie Winter who does a lot of research in breathing. And she kind of puts a great argument out there of like, here's both sides of the story. Um... And we don't know who's right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like some people work well, some people don't. So it's, you know, the, the views are still, as far as we're in like 2016, so many of these things are still cloudy, really, aren't they? Yeah. And I kind of love that that's the case. You know, I have a lot of colleagues who I love and respect and, and have gained so much from working with who really are sort of more on the breathing coordination side, which is basically the idea that everything is coordinated and working all together and there's no, we, we want to not really allow any leadership anywhere um, in the breathing activity. Um, and I think that's really valuable too. And I think every individual body is unique and different. And so it's really, really important that um, we pay attention to our own patterns 
patterns of engagement and, and just be curious about them, right? Because machines can measure us, but ultimately, if we pay attention to ourselves, if we pay attention to what we perceive to be the feeling of engaging our oblique versus our transverse, we're probably going to be our best um, judge of that, of, of what's valuable and what's not. Yeah, absolutely. And, totally you, you know, you see, I don't know, you, you'd see people in the studio and uh, certainly I've heard, you know, stories from other coaches who might say, according to this method of breathing, your breathing is horrendous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I assess you with my knowledge and you are rubbish, right? <laughs> but, but that singer is um, fine, like fine. Because that's another, another way to look at it, isn't it? Is that rigidity in the technique, like breathing patterns are individual. Um, and there is research to show that, that there is a, somebody can produce the same sound differently to somebody else in terms of breathing patterns and both be as healthy as each other. Um, so it's just, it's a mad world out there. Mm. Everyone's, everyone's right and wrong. Kind and of. No I mean, I like to say, anything. I, I like to Give say up. about breathing... I give up. Um, I like to say about breathing too that, you know, like everyone's really good at it. If you're here and you're alive, you're doing it great. You win. Do you know what I mean? The, the reason we have so many different ways of breathing is because that gives us so many different ways of staying alive. And let's not forget that breathing is primarily for that purpose first before it's to support our voice and our speech. It's amazing that we can do both. Um, but really, I think ultimately what we want to be after is freedom of the ability to breathe in different ways that serve different situations. Because if we take a step back, we can really say there is no good and bad form of breathing. There's just what is good for one circumstance and what is good for another circumstance. There's just circumstantial, you know. So, so, so um, to kind of to kind of wrap us up on this subject, I'm interested to see um, is in your opinion is that exercise enough, much like your impulses one, to draw attention to the activity of the area. So that in singing, one can notice the same or, or let's say a slightly less pronounced movement of that. Or do you feel like it's actually another technique to in order to take that actually to voicing? Yeah, um, good question. So I don't think that what I just taught, I don't think that the Breath of Fire, the Kapalabhati, I don't think it's the easiest exercise. And I'm, I'm teaching it here on this podcast, knowing that you have a pretty educated listenership and that people really are curious and want to go deep with this stuff. So a few idiots, I think there's a few idiots. But, <laughs> yeah, you find them. <laughs> and so um, I don't think it's necessarily the first or easiest exercise to do, just to be fair. But what I do think is if your body if you're locked in a pattern of rib squeeze, which is something that I was locked into for a while, or if you are tense in your throat, or it basically, if you can do Kabbalabati, if you can do breath of fire accurately, then your body has found the pattern of engagement that is squeezing the low part and allowing it to flow up and out, which is what our voice needs. So I think that if you can find that pattern, then your body now has a kinesthetic awareness of what that feels like that can move into maybe doing some more traditional um, singing or, you know, spoken voice support exercises and ultimately making sure that you are supporting when you're performing. So again, I think there can be plenty of steps in between, but the cool thing about it is that if you can't find this pattern and then you do find it, you've kind of switched, a, uh, you've, you've uh, flipped a switch um, that allows you to really, your body to kinesthetically get it. Right. Then it becomes a little bit more autonomous. 
Yeah, I think it just allows us to really get embodied with this concept of supporting from the bottom up. Right. Yeah, I think embodied is a, is a cracking word. So, you know, because, uh, you know, and, and, and that, it, it gives, um, gives reason to why yoga and the, um, the mindset that is used in yoga is really valuable for singers in general. It's a self-awareness, mm. right? Because you say, like, you can walk into a studio and a teacher and go, you're breathing wrong. It's like, well, am I? And you don't know, like, you know, because it's such an intrinsic activity to breathe, right? You can't tell me if I'm breathing wrong. So to get good at it yourself, to learn it yourself and to um, explore the way that you breathe and the many ways that you can breathe is probably a great way to go about it. Probably the best way to go about it, isn't it? I think so. I mean, and I, I think I think it's kind of damaging to tell someone that they're breathing wrong, you know, because um, it... it that it's it is a pattern that they've learned and they've obviously learned it for a reason and it's helped for some reason and when we learn new habits anyway um, we're not obliterating the old ones we're just creating new neural pathways for new options so to ever tell someone that you know the neural pathway that they've created is terrible is kind of silly in my opinion so you know maybe we can all be nicer to each other and and just stop saying silly things like that right <laughs> I like I like the teachers who slag everyone off because then all their clients come to me. So they make us look good. So win, win. crack on, it's fine. Yeah, totally. Say the crazy things and and in all fairness, um, you know the students who come and take how your voice works from me, which are. I actually work with so many voice teachers in my class, and then also with lots of singers and public speakers and performers and. Um, you know, a lot of times their teachers have said this stuff to them and maybe even, you know, I sometimes have the teacher who goes, oh, I said that to like a lot of my students up till now. That's okay. That's great. I'm so glad you're here now. That's great. Let's have a conversation about it so that we can just, you know, say things with more accuracy and, and more um, openness. Yes. Sure. Right on. We've all been there at some point many times. Many we? times. Yeah. Let me just wind back what I told you for five years. Did you record um, that? Hopefully not. <laughs> Yeah. You could just forget some of that stuff that I mentioned because I know better now, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, wow. Well, a couple of wonderful nuggets, yes. shall we say, of information. Um, so, so you mentioned earlier um, of your wonderful course, How Your Voice Works. Um, are you able to tell us a little, just a little bit more about it and wh where people can find out about that? Of course. So basically the course is split into seven modules and we actually dove into two of them today to, to some depth. Um, although I said plenty of things today that I don't say in the course and there are plenty of things in the course that I didn't say today. So um, the, the basic idea is that I believe that there are seven steps we can break down how our voice works from the idea, the moment of wanting to speak through the actual moment of uttering the sentence or the phrase or whatever it is. And those steps are that we have an impulse to speak and then our body responds to that impulse. And a huge part of that body response is breathing, is breath. So impulse, body, and breath are the first three modules. And then after that, the when the airflow is traveling up our windpipe and encounters our vocal folds, that's the onset of sound. Um, so that's the fourth module. 
The fifth module goes into resonance, which is all the stuff that happens when the sound starts bouncing around inside the vocal tract. You guys have talked about that type of stuff on the show lots. Um, so resonance is the fifth module. And then um, the sixth module is articulation, which is how we shape the flow um, through consonants and vowels and our articulators. And then finally, the seventh step is language, is um, it coming out as, you know, understandable communication. So basically we dive into each of those um, those steps in a module and the modules are 15 to 30 minutes long so it's really you know it's it's pretty digestible and there's two exercises per module to help you embody the learning. Um, we did a couple of those exercises today and um, then we uh, when you're done you get a certificate of completion and you know there's further study that people can do with me um, but it's really I think that it's it's a course that I've really worked on designing to be um, both practical I, I think you can tell I love anatomy and I, I think it's important to understand how the machine works but also just like uh, you know Steve you latched onto that word embodiment and I think it's so important too it's all about understanding and then embodying I think that's a really important step-by-step -step process first we understand then we have to feel it right first we think it then we feel it and then ultimately in the performance process we just forget it and let it happen but knowing all that stuff fills ourselves with more knowledge and I love that so and if anybody's lost and uh, um, reading the blog post or wants to go back and review it we'll put all the links in the blog post um, to uh, the website there and the course uh, well thank you for coming on the show Elissa uh, once again it's my pleasure brilliant stuff and a wide range of, of interest for everyone and no doubt we'll get you on again soon I would love to come anytime. I adore you guys. Thank you so much for having a conversation with me. No worries. Thank you. There she runs. There she she toddles, trotting off down. Um, what is it? Fifth Avenue, probably. Probably, probably that Something one. Like yeah, that, my favourite one. That one. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have any questions for Alyssa uh, and any questions about this episode, do get in touch with us via thenakedvocalist.com. Um, also, if you're interested in any of Alyssa's uh, material or her products. Um, uh, her course How Your Voice Works you can find uh, more information about that at thenakedvocalist.com forward slash how your voice works with no spaces just to let you know these are affiliate links so if you choose to go ahead with anything it does support the podcast <laughs>